great legacy that is here uh, locally and a lot of individuals that have been connected to the church know about the church it's amazing at times whenever I've met individuals over the last almost 16 years and they'll say oh yeah my cousin my friend I was raised I knew I know about all of that and you have that sense of wow what a great great history so we're we're thankful for that history and that legacy and what it uh, means and and uh, we're thankful that we have as already been mentioned the young folks that are carrying it forward and uh, trying to live for God and do uh, what is uh, being part of the body and we're thankful for all of you today I'm going to talk about Christmas people because uh, it's soon to be Christmas time. I started last Sunday and I talked about some of the paradoxes of Christmas and I know it's the Christmas month and believe it or not with next Sunday morning and Sunday night being the children's and then the next Sunday morning just a short service. Uh, if I don't talk about Christmas now, you know, when will you talk about Christmas? Hallelujah. So, uh, and talking about some Christmas folks and I uh, put on the uh, slide a crash and I don't know if any of you all have ever uh, seen a crash or if you have a crash uh, several years ago my wife and I when our children were little we bought a, a crash and uh, it sort of had looked like wooden figures but they were plastic and uh, uh, had all kinds of uh, you know things and I don't know we it grew and then grew and grew and, and we've got angels and we've got shepherds and we've got camels and donkeys and all those wonderful things but you can you can find a crash you can find a at this time of year you probably can buy one and there are certain people that are in the uh, symbolically in the crash in the manger scene typically uh, some sort of a manger scene with an angel and uh, <clears throat> there uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and maybe you'll see him as a yard decoration or in lights uh, then there are usually kings maybe three of them uh, typically because of the three gifts but we don't know the Bible's really not clear about how many kings there are and then there are shepherds and then animals that were in possibly uh, the barn or the stable Table where they were and uh, probably uh, while the nativity scene is is beautiful uh, probably it is not we would say an accurate depiction because we know that that no doubt uh, <clears throat> there is uh, the three wise men or however many wise men probably did not go to the manger, to the stable. As a matter of fact, uh, at that point, uh, the, the Luke record says they were, I mean, Matthew record said, came to the house where the child was in scripture. So may not have been in the manger, may not, they may not have arrived on the same night 
as the shepherds or the angelic host. Uh, it may have taken them longer to travel. We don't, I don't know. The Bible is just really not specific enough to tell you. Uh, there are some other people that are not in the manger nativity scene that we will talk about maybe today, if not today, this morning, tonight, that are part of the Christmas sort of extravaganza that are all individuals that in some way or another we really can relate to in our own personal lives and in our own sense of uh, who we are and what our response should be at Christmas time. I know Christmas is an emotional time of the year. In fact, uh, I, I recognize that from a mental health standpoint, a lot of times the holiday seasons are the hardest for some folks to get to, get through. It is, uh, they, they have maybe a, a view of a uh, hallmark Christmas or Courier and Ives Christmas and then they realize quickly that their family is not Courier or Ives or don't have any hallmark and it can be overwhelming when you stop and think about who your family is and all of their dysfunctions or functions and or lack thereof and the holiday time can be extremely hard on folks. As a matter of fact, believe it or not, uh, suicide rates go up from the end of Thanksgiving until Christmas because of being overwhelmed. So statistically, it's a hard time. Individuals can feel very lonely, can feel very isolated. In a time when you would think it's busy, there's lights, a lot of hustle, bustle, a lot of stuff going on, seems like we're just overwhelmed with things and busy and busy and, and as my wife said, wrapping presents or doing this and doing that and yet it can be a time of great sadness and maybe just personally, when you feel like maybe, you know, I don't have anybody that I can buy for or that I'm excited about buying for or that maybe I feel are excited about buying for me or I am all alone or the people that I do have, I don't know that I really want them and we're on separate paths. And so Christmas time is not always an easy time. It's not an easy time emotionally. It's not an easy time stress-wise. And as my wife said, and I know having a women's uh, fellowship Saturday from 1 to 3 um, can feel maybe like another thing that I have to do, and we hope not, because we realize that this is a hard time to, in, you know, uh, deal with all of these things. And yet I know uh, we're, we're thankful for life and health. And I, I saw Sister Roberta Hartley's here. She's been sick. And others, I know, you know, we're thankful that we've made it through another Christmas. And I made it through another time and made it another year. And it's uh, for us, given that it is the close of the year, uh, it, you know, it feels 
feels like, thank the Lord, we made it through 2019 and we're praying for 2020. And although we realize, according to the word, uh, that probably, you know, the Lord was not born on December the 25th or uh, the night of the 24th or some of that, <coughs> somewhere in there, uh, <coughs> but it's the time that uh, the world, society has chosen to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so when I talk about Christmas people, and I know uh, that, that title itself sounds a little bit, you know, like, oh, what's that going to be about? Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, that, that, when I talk about the players, if you will, I was going to put uh, participants, players, individuals, whatever word you wanted to put there uh, <clears throat> instead of people and, and rather than Christmas. But I was talking about the birth, uh, the birth people that were around when Jesus was born. And what we're going to look at are those that were principal uh, players or principal individuals in Matthew and in Luke specifically and how they reacted to the birth of our Lord because it was an amazing sense of his birth. Now, Matthew opens up his book with a genealogy of Joseph, actually, and you can read it. It starts in Matthew, the first chapter and the first verse, and it's called The Book of the Generation of Jesus Christ. And it goes through uh, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes on through. And he comes to a particular portion of scripture and it talks about and Joseph begat uh, Jacob begat Joseph notice that Jacob begat Joseph and uh, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ. This is the genealogy of Joseph. It's about who his dad was, who his grandpa was and it goes on through the genealogy. And Jacob was, of course, Joseph's father. Not Jacob from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but another young man that had been born, and his name was Jacob. And ultimately, of course, we find that that came through the line of Solomon, and then Jesus, and then Christ. And then we know that that scripture in itself tells us a lot about uh, the genealogy of Christ because it doesn't say uh, that Joseph is the father. It says that he is the husband of Mary, and it doesn't because Jesus was, of course, born as the Holy Ghost or shadowed Mary, and the child that was conceived in her was a child of the Holy Ghost, the Son of God. And so yet they carry the genealogy through Joseph and show how that Joseph was a descendant of Solomon, and therefore Joseph would have been, as his father, uh, a descendant of David, a descendant 
descendant of Abraham, etc. And an interesting verse in that genealogy, and one that maybe most of you have overlooked or read and not really understood, is found in the 11th and 12th verse of that first chapter of Matthew, where it says, And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time that they were carried away into Babylon. That's an important player that was recorded in the book of Matthew, that Jeconias was there after they were brought to Babylon. Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. And so he goes through this uh, genealogy, specifically Matthew was written for the Jews, and they knew who Jeconias was. Jeconias was not your average, just dad, 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 dad. As a matter of fact, Jeconias was an individual that was terrible. He was a horrible king. You know that David had been promised that his seed would sit forever on the throne of Judah. And it was up until, and that's why Matthew records it as Jeconias was right before they went into Babylon. And what that tells you is that we know if you are those that are scholars and maybe have been in the church a long time know about Israel being a union of 12 tribes and then 10 tribes after Solomon's uh, son became king, David, Saul, David, Solomon of the United Kingdom. And then uh, after Solomon was born, the kingdom divides 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south, the north becoming what we would say would be Israel and the south being called Judah. And of course, that was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes. And they were the tribes where that's where Jerusalem was and they were the ones upon which we would say uh, David was the promise that David was going to have a perpetual kingdom and that that was going to come through David but after Solomon it split and uh, history goes on and there's all kind of conflicts sometimes between the two tribes the ten tribes and the two tribes and all kinds of situations and all of you probably Probably have uh, heard stories, read stories about good kings and bad kings, and, and pretty much the north never had a good king because they immediately went into idolatry, and, and pretty much there were good and bad kings in the south. And then, of course, uh, the northern ten tribes were captured and taken away. And then finally, the southern or the, the last two tribes were taken into Babylon. And we know that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys and some of those were part of that last time of being captured and taken away. So you know your history, and I'm not going to overwhelm you with the history. But Jeconias was the last king before they went into Babylon. And basically... They never came back into a kingdom. After that king, it was over. There was never another real king to sit on the throne. They came back, 
and they returned, they rebuilt, but there was never the kingdom. Although the Lord had promised that David was going to have a descendant that was going to sit on the throne. Actually, when you read in Jeremiah, you'll read the curse that God put on Jeconias. When you read Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter, you can read the entire chapter. It's all about Josiah, which was Jeconias' father, and it's all about these last kingdoms. And he says, thus saith the Lord, go to the house of the king of Judah, speak there this word, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, thou that sittest on the throne of David. He keeps reading, you, you can read it all. Therefore said the Lord concerning Jeho Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, for him thou shalt not lament him. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. And then here's the curse, if you will, that God declares on uh, Jeconias in, in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. He said, no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David or ruling anymore in Judah. Now immediately, why would you, why are you, why are you even talking about all of this? It's Christmas and I, you know, we're supposed to have presents and fun. But basically, he said, I'm telling you, I'm, I am cutting off. Now, how God made a promise that you're going to have a seed. And yet, you know, Joseph was from this lineage. When you read in First Chronicles, which gives you the names again in the Old Testament of the people, it's the sons of Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, his son, Zedekiah, his son, and the sons of Jeconiah, and there are seven of them, Asir, Malcarim, Padiah, Shinazar, Jechamiah, uh, Hashemah, and Nebadiah. All of those. And you get the Holy Ghost when you read their names. <laughs> All seven of, of Jeconiah's sons were basically cursed by God through this prophet Jeremiah. So when Jesus was born, for Matthew to specifically record this lineage and put Jeconiah as being the leader or the father, the progenitor of Joseph, what he was saying is that through Joseph, Jesus could not come through Joseph. Because he was cursed. Joseph's lineage had been cursed that no biological son of Joseph could sit on the throne. Now, then you read in Luke, and it talks about the third chapter, and it does a genealogy again. But it's written in the way that genealogies are written for Jews. And that is through a male. So in other words, it goes from son, father to son, father to son, father to son. And they 
It's written in the Greek, and when you read it in the King James Version, if you have an old King James Version that shows you where the words are added, the word son of is added in most of the genealogies in Luke the third chapter with a couple of exceptions, and I'll talk about those. But you'll read it from the 23rd verse to the 38th verse. This is actually the genealogy, not of Joseph, but it's actually the genealogy of Mary. The genealogy of Mary is recorded in Luke the third chapter. The genealogy of Joseph is recorded in Matthew the first chapter. Those are two principal players in the life of Jesus. You know, they're the ones sitting over the manger. Remember? Mary and Joseph. And we know how Joseph, and we know the story, and take her for your wife and all that. But you will notice here, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, and it puts in parenthesis, as was supposed, in other words, the writer, Luke, knew he was not the real biological son of Joseph. The son of Joseph. He called him there the son of Joseph. And then he said, the, which was the son of Heli. Or it, Eli, if you were reading it in some versions. Heli. Now, we just read in Matthew where Joseph was the son of Jacob. So, how does now Joseph have a new dad? Well, because it's not really talking about Joseph, but it's not putting Mary in there. It's going through the... It says Joseph, which was the son of Heli. And when you trace that on down, it goes all the way back to Adam, which was the son of God. Now, the, why that's important is because when you study genealogy, and I know I'm, I'm, I, some of you are already lost, and how does this apply to me? We're going to get to it. These were the sons of David in 1 Chronicles. These were born unto him in Jerusalem. And, and it tells about where David's sons were born. Some of them were born before he got to Jerusalem, before he became king. There were two sons. The last two sons born to David, besides the child that died, was a son by the name of Nathan and then Solomon. So... Solomon's older brother, a half brother it would have been, would have been would have been Nathan. And so here was Nathan and then Solomon who was born to Bathsheba. And so when you realize that in fact that um, what happens is that you trace the lineage of Mary back, and she is a descendant of Nathan. She is a descendant of the son of David, but not through Solomon. And the reason that's important is because Solomon's seed was virtually cut off and could never sit on the throne. And so the Lord had Mary come through her genealogy, but was still the son of 
David, in, in that sense, Mary was a descendant of Nathan. And we know Mary also was related to the high priest because, next slide, when, when Elizabeth was her cousin and Elizabeth was one of the daughters of Aaron. And so there was a back in time, and you can read all the genealogy and get all the charts if you want one. I'll, I'll get one, run it off for you. You will find that uh, the, the sons of the children, descendants of Aaron, married the descendants of Nathan, and they were able to be connected. And so we find that through Mary, she was not only a descendant, direct descendant of David, but she was also a descendant of, of Aaron. Their, their mothers were the sisters. And so when you talk about how that Jesus came and he was not really from Solomon, but he was from David and, and he was not through, he would have been from through Solomon, through Joseph, but that line was cursed. And so he was not then uh, the biological father. And so when you go back through Mary, when you read it all and you figure it all out, it's amazing how God interwove all all of this. And, and then whenever they recorded it, when you talk about how they recorded this, these uh, words here uh, in, in Luke, the second chapter, uh, wait a minute, um, uh, let me see, if, where did I put it? Uh, Nathan, Jesse, the son of David, and Elizabeth, That, oh, I got a slide out of order. I put to innkeeper. Take away the innkeeper. Jump that one and go to the next one. Sorry. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> Luke, the third chapter. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Oh, third chapter. Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, as was supposed the son of Joseph. There is a word there, the son of Joseph, is the only reference to where Joseph, whenever the King James says the son of Halal, the son of, the son of, the son of, all of those are not actually recorded in the old, in, in Greek. It's just, would be like Keith of Don, Don of going back and forth and they didn't put the son of, okay? But on this particular one, whenever it says, the first one that says he is the son of Joseph, on that son, which you lose blue letter Bible, it's the Greek word huis, huis, which means offspring, follower, pupil, it may not be biological. Huios. Whenever it said he is the son of Joseph in Luke the third chapter, it uses he is the Huios of Joseph. It's the offspring. May not be biological, but that's why we know that has to do with Mary. The interesting thing is that that same word, huios, is used, Luke the 20th chapter and the 36th verse, 
where it says, neither can they die anymore for they are equal unto angels. Jesus used the word huios and are the huios of God being the huios of the resurrection. Go ahead, next slide. What do you say? Second Corinthians, Paul used the same words where he said, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my huios, saith the Lord God Almighty. Galatians, the third chapter. For ye are all the huios of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In the, in the, go ahead, the next slide, in the fourth chapter. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his huios, made not of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That word is not huios, it's a huiotheos, which means the adopted children. And because you are huios, God has sent forth the spirit of his huios into our hearts crying Abba Father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a Huios and if a Huios then an heir of God through what are you saying I'm saying that same lineage that passed from the Lord into Jesus is the same lineage that can pass from us as we pass into this life I am not just an adopted son I am a heir of Christ I know that's a long sermon for a very short punch line. But when you read in the Greek that those words were very specific, that he said he was not the biological son of Joseph, but he was the Huios of God. Wow. You say, man, what a major idea that we who are Gentiles, we who have nothing, we who are not, you know, we have no lineage. You say, I don't have very much family. You don't know how stupid my family is. You don't know how wacky my family are. You don't know how terrible my family are. Let me tell you, you can be a part of a great family. You can be a part of a great lineage, a lineage that bypasses the curse of your fathers, the curse of everything that's in it. I'm telling you, you are amazing when you realize that because of his blood, it transforms first to us we become a child of God part of the time I was on the bus yesterday I was reading my phone till the battery went down I had a spare battery I plugged it in and an article came up maybe you saw it came up on my phone probably came up on some of your phone that some guy here in America had his DNA checked and he had had cancer, and he had a bone marrow transplant. And his DNA showed that he was about 20 years younger and lived in Germany. And they began to try to track it down, what's going on. And come to find out that a young man in Germany had given his blood. And to a blood bank or whatever, stem cells. And so when this man who had cancer got his bone marrow transplant into him, 
and he got that into his body, that all of a sudden, that new DNA began to take over his DNA. They have a whole medical term for it. And it shows up in your swab of your mouth. In fact, you know, he had, you could, depending on the swab, he would be a 65-year-old man or a 30-year-old guy. That was in the news. Wasn't in the religious section. In fact, I sent it to Sheena and I sent it to, so I was like, wow, that's amazing. Why? Because what science is finding out is that when you get a transfer of the DNA, The implication was, what if, you know, that guy turns out to be an axe murderer and then, you know, you have the same DNA. And they were talking about all, this article was about all the legal implications of, you know, one person carrying the DNA of another person. And I thought, you know what, 2,000 years ago, this same thing happened on Christmas time or whatever it was when the DNA of God enveloped Mary and she had a birth of a child. Whoa! And it happened a few years ago for me at an altar whenever I got the Holy Ghost and repented of my sins. The DNA of the Lord that became the curios of God. God manifest in the flesh. That doesn't excite you? I, I'm sorry, that was a long introduction. But you see why I got so excited about it? Amen. And then for the, yesterday, for me to get this article on the bus, I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. And I texted all the family. I said, read this. This is kind of amazing that, that this guy, and, and they said, guess what? They found this before. That when you transfer the DNA, if the host DNA is weaker the new DNA will take over. Show up in your mouth, show up in your saliva, show up in all your body fluids. In fact, if this man would have had a child, the article goes on that it would not have been his DNA transferred to the child. Oh, thank God for Christmas when the Huios of God was manifest in the flesh. Oh, what are you saying? I know it came through Mary and Nathan, and I get it, and I know Joseph wasn't the father, but you know what? That same word is used whenever it says we are no longer a servant, but we become the Huios of Almighty God. And if we are the Huios, we are an heir. What a privilege that is. What an amazing fact that God is able to transfer his very DNA into us. I don't care. Old things are passed away. All things can become new. We're talking about a God that wants to change your life completely. So that's Mary and Joseph. They're kind of bit players in all of this. But when you realize how important they are, now go back to that innkeeper slide. I got it out of order. I'm sorry. Go back to that innkeeper slide, wherever it was. Luke, the second chapter and the seventh verse. And then we'll have to jump down to the next innkeeper. Sorry about that, Sister Tracy. I, I actually did this, you know, when I had a lot of sleep. 
Luke, the second chapter. Another one of the players or the people of this Christmas people is the innkeeper. We don't know his name. We don't know who he is. All we know is that one little sentence that says, And brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, for there was no room for, and it uses the word not him, but them, in the inn. In other words, here comes a lady who is very much expecting, and a man, and I know, you know, it wasn't Motel 6 or whatever, I don't know what it was, but the innkeeper realized that, you know, they were in desperate need. And yet, he did not have room for them in his inn. He will forever be the lousy innkeeper that would not give up his own bed so that Jesus could have been born. A very self-centered, if you will, selfish just out of the kindness of a woman that much expecting to send her off into your stable, you would think, wow. And that's, I mentioned last Sunday, the paradox of Jesus not having room is that he says, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. I want to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And, and when you stop and think, and I know, you know, sometimes we can feel out of place. We can feel like our family doesn't understand us, that nobody really wants us. And then typically it bleeds over into anybody that's associated with us. It's kind of like the them, no room for them in the end. And so, you know, why, why, at least why wouldn't you be nice to this one? And at least why wouldn't you be nice? And you can imagine in your own mind, well, there are innkeepers in and around most of our families and most of our life. May not, you know, you may not want to name them. You may want to write somebody's name here. I, that, you know, so-and-so. Uncle Fred is the innkeeper. He never has room for anybody. He never has room for anybody in his life. He doesn't want to have anybody he doesn't want to help anybody he's not going to put himself out for anybody I don't know who it is that you have in, in and around you but I'm here to tell you Jesus knows what it is to be in a place where there was no room for us and he said it's not going to happen to my bride I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am go ahead you can jump to that next innkeeper slide revelation said the Lord said I stand at the door and knock if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him. What are you saying? Is that same innkeeper me? Will I refuse to let the Lord in? That's good, Pastor. I can come and sit in church and not let the Lord in. I could have no room for him, but I'm busy. You know, I've got this to do and I've got that to do and it's a busy time and I just don't have time. Lord, I will pray. And you know, Cat Stevens or whatever it was that wrote the song, Cats in the Cradle or, you know, and Silver Spoon, Little Boy and the Man in the Moon and I don't have time. And we all heard it that grew up in the 70s and 80s and knew, you know, here's a son who doesn't have time for his father. And then later on, his son comes along, you 
you know what I'm talking about? And yet that same thing can happen in an apostolic service. It can happen in a church service where I just don't have time. Uh, you know, I've got busy. I'm busy. I, the kids are busy. Everybody's busy. I've got this going on and I've got that. And we just don't have time. And, and it's a good thing and I like it and it, it's wonderful. But I, I know and I, I, you know, I really, I don't just, you don't understand. You know, you understand, Pastor, and I know, I understand our our churches, and I get it. It's the hour we're living in, and used to go to church, you know, five times a week, seven times a week, and go on a youth night, and go on every other night, and I got it. Can't have revival on anything other than that. I got all of that. But you know, that's what's going on, and we have less and less time for the Lord, less and less room in our schedule, and if I'm not careful, I can be on my phone, I can not read the Bible, even though I have access to it. Oh Lord, don't let me at this Christmas be an innkeeper with the Lord. I know, I know everybody's busy and I know there's more stressors now. I get it, I understand. 365, the stores never close and I can shop online and I can go to Amazon and I got this and I can drop into bed exhausted and I, and, you know, but I just don't have time. And, and, and I, you know, oh, and I start thinking of all the things I can do. And we were in a line last night waiting to drive through and see lights and, and I found myself thinking, oh Lord, what's going on? Come on, surely we got to do, huh? Maybe I was the only one on the bus doing that. I don't know. And I, and I just stopped and I said, well, you know, hallelujah, it's good to be on a bus. It's good to have my mom and dad sitting there. You know, Sheena and David and my wife, and folks in church that I know. But you know what? I don't, it's hard to do that anymore, huh? I just don't have time. Well, I don't have time, Pastor. I don't have time to do it. I don't, I don't have time to really pray. Or, oh, you know, let me down to sleep. Amen. Glory to God. Huh? Oh, I don't want to be an innkeeper at Christmas time. This year, I know it's going to be busy. I know we're going to have stuff to do. I know you've got, you know, presents to wrap, all you ladies. <laughs> You men have presents to put in gift bags. I got it. But don't ever forget the greatest thing that you can take time for is there's a baby that's being born in you. You're being transformed in this. Oh, I don't want him to be standing at the door and knocking. In Hebrews it said, the Holy Ghost saith, if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts as in the day of provocation. You know what provocation there means? Go to blue letter, look it up in the Greek, it means to be irritated and provoked and to be tempted. And I know nobody here gets irritated. <laughs> nobody here gets tempted. Nobody here has a provocation. Yellow and black socks can be a provocation. <laughs> I just saw them, sorry. <laughs> No, put them out there where we can see them. Just provoke the fire out of you. 
What are you talking about? I'm talking about whenever I start finding myself getting frustrated and irritated. You know what I'm in effect doing? Saying I don't have room for the Prince of Peace. Right now, I don't have room for you, Jesus, to come and walk into my life and to speak a word of kindness and relaxation and peace. What do you say? For with stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to his people saying, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. I sometimes need to say, Lord, I'm irritated. I need to open my door of my heart and say, don't let me get provoked. Oh, all right, innkeeper. Sorry, go on one more. Well, Herod, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Here's another one. Herod, this is in Matthew. Behold, there came wise men from Jerusalem, from the east, and we'll talk about the wise men later, and, and said, we've seen this guy that's seen a stop star where is he that's born king of the Jews now they did the right thing you know who would you think would give birth to a king but another king so they went to Jerusalem and they go you're the king we came to see your birth of your new son and Herod's like whoa I don't have a son it's kind of amazing because according to history they said it would be better to be one of Herod's animals than his own children because he had a knack of killing off his own kids anyway. But where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship. That was what the wise men said. When Herod heard these things, what does it say happened to him? He was troubled. He heard it. It troubled him. It bothered him. He didn't like it. Something's going on. I'm not sure. Here's Herod. And you know, life kind of threw him a left curve, uppercut, or whatever you want to say. And he got troubled by that. And when the king's troubled, guess who else is troubled? Everybody's troubled. And so everybody got up, up in a stither because he's stomping around. What do you mean? These three guys or four guys or eight guys or two guys have shown up here from the east. What's going on? They're asking for the king of the Jews. What does that mean? And he's bothering this one. She goes and bothers those three and those three bother somebody else. And before long, everybody's bothered because right. I'm frustrated here. And when he gathered, he gathered all the chief priests and scribes. He got all the religious leaders together. And he said, all right, you guys tell me. You guys know everything. You're religious. You got the Bible. You tell me what's going on. And demanded of them where the Christ was born. Go on, next verse. And this applies not only to Herod, but to the religious leaders. And that's why I said there's another player in these people around Christmas. And they said unto him, what? Where did they say that the child was born? Bethlehem. Now for those of you who've been to Israel, you know it's like five miles maybe. I don't know, six miles. 
maybe not even that far, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And I know that's a good stretch of the legs for walking, but it's not like this, you know, five-hour flight to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's just down the road. And it's actually down the road because Jerusalem is higher. Bethlehem is lower. And so they said Bethlehem because they found it in the books of prophets. And thou, and they quote Micah, Thou Bethlehem, though thou art least, and out of thee shall be born. And you know we sing, O little town of... Out of thee shall come a governor, and that shall take, that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently. Now he's trying to get real specific. Okay, exactly. When did the star appear? When was this, when did this happen? And we're thinking, that's the reason why we think this story may have taken place up to two years that the wise men came before they got there is because Herod later goes and kills all of those two years and younger. So maybe they were only there a year later and Herod wants to hedge his bets and so he kills everybody two years and younger. I don't know. But we know that he's trying to find out diligently exactly when did you see the star. I'm trying to get a note of exactly when the star appeared because he's got another plan and that is to kill all the children born in Bethlehem under a certain age. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search diligently for the young child and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. And he had no intention of worshiping him. But here was this self centered egomaniac that was constantly conniving about a way that he could beat the system. The reason he was trying to beat the system is that when you don't have an heir who is going to be king, then who do they have to leave as king? Any ideas? If I'm working a job and I don't, there's nobody that's going to take my job and somebody starts rising their head and having more success than I do, what should I do? Get rid of them. Fire that one. Because they may eventually take my job. Oh, I know that's not the way we're supposed to think, but I'm telling you that's how Herod was thinking. If I can kill this baby, that baby is not going to take my place. That's what was in his mind. Very selfish. I know you won't run into selfish people this Christmas. Herod was, though. He was a very selfish egomaniac that was willing to participate in infanticide to kill all the babies born in a city in order to stop the birth, the life of one. What are you saying? That's how ruthless Herod was. 
What's horrible is that he was not willing to put himself out any to go down to Bethlehem himself and do anything. He was willing to just say, you go, you find him. When you find him, come tell me and I'll deal with it. But he wasn't going to go himself. What's amazing is that the religious leaders themselves, when they heard this story, you would have thought they have the law. They know, wow, if these people have come from the east, surely there must be something to it. They should have responded and said, you know what? Wow, it's amazing. We actually know who that is. That's, that's potentially the son of God. Oh, I want you to know we're going to go there. We're going to find him ourselves. And yet they didn't do it. What am I saying? I'm saying whatever keeps you from putting yourself out a little bit to find Jesus. You fall into one of those categories. Either you're too well educated. Well, I don't do that. I don't go chasing babies. And that's what the Lord talked about to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He said, you guys know the law, but yet you didn't get it. The guy who wrote the law is standing with you. What are you saying? That in this hour of, of here we are, and it's Christmas, and the child is born. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? How am I going to be able to respond? Oh, Lord, I pray that you will help me respond, maybe like the shepherds responded, who were low class, but whenever they heard there is born a, a Savior in the city of Bethlehem, the Bible says they left where they were, and they made their way to Bethlehem. What are you talking about? I don't want my ego to get in my way. Well, I don't act like that. I I don't do that. I don't need that. I, I don't really have to. I don't have time for that. There's no room for that in my life. Or, well, I know enough. I know. I know God doesn't need this. And I know God doesn't need that. And I know. I, I've got all the religious training there is. And I know what's necessary. Well, I know what my family's always said. And I know I don't have to do all that. I know I don't have to do all that. Even though they knew what the word of the Lord said. Knowing it and responding are two different things. They knew he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He should be there right now. What are you going to do about it? Maybe later when I get through. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. This Christmas, I can't put it off. I can't wait for another time. The Lord needs to be born in my manger. He's standing at the door knocking at my heart. Oh, but I, I already know that. I, I don't, you know, I know, I know that. I know we used to pray and shout and dance. I know all of that. And I, I know, I, I've grown up and I, I've talked to people. They say, yes, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know what the Bible says, and I know when you talk in tongues, and I know that's like a baby, and I, I get it, and, and I just, we don't have to do that, and I don't have to have that kind of an emotional, I just, I know, I, 
phone, I think. I saw your picture already. I saw it in the Christmas story. The religious people that knew so much but didn't go and kneel at the feet of this baby. Well, what's a baby going to do for me? And what's that going to mean to me? He wants to be born again in my heart. That's what Christmas is all about, the birth of Christ. Can he be born again in my life? Do I have room? Am I so busy? Or can I say, you know what? Lord, I want you to transfer some of your DNA directly into me through the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost. What a privilege it is. Oh, I, I prayed through a long time ago, and I know, I know all about that.